Well, I want to share today <clears throat> along the line that and the vein that we were in last week about remembrance of Christ. And it's in relationship to the privilege we have to partake of communion. And I want to begin with a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 um, that was written by the Apostle Paul. And you will also see this scripture in Luke 22, where actual, actually Jesus was with the disciples in what is known as the Last Supper. And so Paul, though, says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So at the Last Supper, Jesus leads them in this very important exercise of faith and relational response. Because what Jesus is wanting his disciples to not only experience in the moment, but to walk daily with this sense of connectedness with himself. And so <clears throat> Christ then is um, beginning a practice. And what we see is that this liturgical practice reminds us all of our life is meant to be lived imitating Christ Jesus. Okay? Partaking of the sacrament is a redemptive experience. It's not just something of a religious practice. It's intended by the Lord to be a redemptive experience, providing worshipers with the opportunity for ongoing spiritual transformation of being conformed to the image and likeness of Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So coming to the Lord's table is liturgical, but should never be limited to the ceremonial rite. And we come experiencing the presence of the living Christ and this infusion of divine life. Now, Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. But notice he said, do it in remembrance of me. Jesus never said, do it in remembrance of what I'm about to do for you. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to be going to the cross and I'm going to be assuming and taking upon myself the sin of the world. And there, all of mankind may now experience salvation, etc. Jesus didn't say, do it in remembrance of what I've done or what I'm about to do. He simply said, do it in remembrance of who I am. That's really huge, guys. Do it in remembrance of who I am. Do it in remembrance of me. And so <clears throat> when we come to the communion table, and we, we, we touched on this particular point last week, and I'm just sharing it with us as a reminder. Come to the communion table recalling that Jesus Christ is the eternal word. 
who always was, is, and is to come. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He was before the foundations of the world. He always was, is, and will be. Jesus Christ. He says, when you partake of communion, always come in remembrance of who I am. I'm not just the historical Jesus who came to earth and did a, a few good things and went to the cross for your sins. I want you to remember me as the eternal word, the Logos. Now, if you missed last Sunday's one, you can get it online on YouTube because there's a powerful truth in there that we talked about last week that is really so foundational but so frequently overlooked. So today, I want us to focus on another aspect, and today we want to come to the communion table. We'll, we'll, I'm going to try to communicate some things here and see if we can, if I can do it in a manner that we can grasp something here that will be really precious. But when we come to the communion table, we want to recall Christ as God who became fully human to reveal the Father and to show us how to become truly human by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I've heard it said and referred to that our humanity is almost like a curse. I don't want to be human. I just want to get out of here and go to heaven. Oh, no. That's entirely a great misunderstanding. It's beautiful to be human, and what we want to do is become more fully human. Do you know that Christ is fully human today? He's not just a spirit floating around amongst the white, fluffy clouds today. He is human, has a human body that can be touched and felt, and seen, and heard. And so when we come to the communion table, what we want to is come and partake of Christ so that we might become more fully human because humanity is beautiful. Now, I know that that is contrary to what some of us have understood in our Christian backgrounds trying to escape our humanity. By no means should we ever want to escape our humanity, just the opposite. We have flaws in our humanness, in our humanity, and they bother us within our own selves, and they bother us in interacting with one another. But our goal is not to escape. Our goal is to what? Partake of Christ and become conform to his likeness and become more fully human as Christ designed. I want to share a few thoughts along that line today. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. The apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, said, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality quality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form 
of a slave being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, for point of clarification, this is very important. When the scripture says that he emptied himself, did he empty himself of being God or being divine? No. He did not empty himself of being deity. Did he empty himself of his divine attributes? No. When Christ was here on earth in human form, he was still God. He was fully God, yet fully human. But he did not empty himself of his divine attributes. Then what did he empty himself of? It was the divine prerogative of Christ to set aside some of the privileges of deity and assume the limitations of a human. Guys, this is absolutely essential to understand because it makes the scriptures then come to life and make sense in a whole fresh new way. So Jesus took the prerogative as a divine one to set aside the privilege Okay, the privilege, some of the privileges, I should say, of deity to assume the limitations of humanity, which included dying and death, right? He took on the likeness and the limitations of a human being. He identified so thoroughly with this that he became like us in every way, the scriptures tell us so plainly. He was not exempt from or immune to anything intrinsic to broken human condition, not even death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers, help me out, in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Had he not taken on human flesh and had become like us in every way, including some limitations, even unto death, he would have not been able to take upon himself the sin of all of humanity. So he set aside divine Privilege and assumed some human disadvantage, if you will, of being part. I mean, think about it. He was a part of a scandal from the get-go. Say, what was the scandal about? It was a savior come to the world, joy to the world, you know. Born of a virgin, come on. Everybody knows that's a phony story. (laughs) Um... And then a refugee in Egypt. And come on, he was just born of a common blue-collar family, carpenter family, 
nothing of nobility, ordinary in every way, and he experienced the hardships of humanity. It's because he, in his divine prerogative, set aside some privilege of deity to assume human limitations. He submitted to death on the cross. Could not save himself because he set aside the divine privilege of calling upon the angels for his deliverance from the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers. Okay? Jesus was really the prototype of all humans. Adam actually was created in his image and likeness. Now let's just remember that Jesus always was. Christ Jesus always was before the world and the universe was created and before mankind was created, he always was and existed. So the essence of it is this, is that Adam and Eve were created in the likeness of Christ um, <clears throat> from, the, from the beginning. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the effect of that sin has been global from that point on. There's this propensity within all humankind to go astray. But we did not lose our humanity and the image of God. But like Adam and Eve, they took on this distorted perspective and view of God and themselves in relationship with God. And so all of humanity from that time then, we are in this place of great vulnerability because the lies have been floating around for all of this time, and the enemy of our soul still wants to implant lies within us to distort our view of who God is and to question who he is and his great wisdom and his great love for us and to question the reality of the beauty of who we were made in the image of. So we retain the image of God at the core we could say that's our true self. That the very, very core of our being, there is that the image of God. And there's nothing more beautiful than, than an infant. Just love the little infants. And uh, <clears throat> just saw a new infant here a couple weeks ago. Uh, last Sunday, I guess it was. New infant. And... Uh, you just look, you look at this little guy and you go, wow, there's such a beauty of innocence there. And you can just sense and see the, the image and, of, of God right there and the likeness of God, okay? But then things change in our lives as we grow up. Our experiences in life alter the pureness of our perspectives towards God and even towards ourselves and other people. And we're subjected, in, in, excuse me, uh, externally and internally to the lies about God. And yet, there is that true self, that truth of our being that is within our core, but we develop something else of distorted perspectives. Sometimes it can be referred to as the false self. The true self is how God created us, the false self. The Bible refers to that as the, the flesh, okay? It's thinking in a perspective that is counterproductive to growth and wholeness. The flesh versus the spirit, okay? So that's common language that we have in Scripture. So we could use 
spirit versus flesh. We can use more your true self versus the false self. Just different types of terminology. Now, here's what can happen is that your true self and your false self can learn to coexist. In other words, you can be a person that's committed to the Lord Jesus and be very much alive in the spirit, but yet have certain aspects of your life, okay, that aren't in the fullness of alignment with Christ and the likeness of Christ. And you look in the mirror and you go, ugh, yuck. I don't like that about me. And I know that there's probably others who don't like this about me, this characteristic and attitude or something of kind of reactions of our lives, et cetera, see. Could have to do with habits. It could have to do with addictions or whatever. But yet in your heart of hearts, there is something there that is really important. Now, the Apostle Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7. We don't have time to go there today. But in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul talks about, he says, why is it that I do what I don't want to do? Here I am in Christ. I love the Lord with all of my heart. That's his true self. That's the truth of who Apostle Paul was. And yet I do things that I don't even want to do that aren't right before God. Things of the the, the flesh. He's not talking about the human flesh, but the things that are self-centered that pull me and take me away from God. And Paul talked about this warring that goes on internally. Okay? And that is exactly why sometimes that we want to escape our humanity. Because we can feel plagued with this. Because why is it that I, I, I have these wrong attitudes, these wrong thoughts, these wrong feelings, this wrong behavior over here? It's like it haunts me, it torments me, see? I can't get, get away from it. So it's just easier to, hey, I want to just be out of here. But that's not really a good solution. The solution is, is that we are placed here upon earth for an appointed time. And in this whole time, it's our privilege to go through the challenges of life, whatever they may be in those things that dog us and the things that we have a hard time experiencing change in. But the beauty it is, the glory in it is, is to experience Christ in the midst of suffering, to experience Christ in the midst of learning how to die to the things that can detain me, that can distract me, that can take me in an opposite direction of growth in Christ Jesus, say. So it's a process. And so <clears throat> I recognize that process is not a necessarily a pleasant word. Stuff happens in life, and we are because we're in process, and, and then we have to be in process of get healed up, and get in the, and then be in process of learning how to to live on the upside rather than on the downside, and and, and become all disheartened and discouraged. They. So Apostle Paul addresses that in Romans seven. So what, what, let me just give some examples of what maybe the false self could look like. Okay. The scriptures might call flesh, and we could just go on and on with this probably, I mean, for a long period of time. But let me give you just some really practical ones. It can be as simple as just wanting to so much to be accepted by others that we can become preoccupied with how we look, our own personal appearance, okay? We We can be preoccupied with that because the goal, because what we can become 
almost obsessed with is that what others will think about us, see? Now, and, and so we live in that certain tension, though, because we know that culturally, in every culture of the world, there's some things that are acceptable to a culture here that aren't acceptable in other cultures of the world. People would be horrified with in how we look in terms of physical appearance and dress and such, see? So sometimes we need to adapt for the sake of honor of other people and depending on the cultures that we're in. But what I'm talking about, sometimes we can become obsessed with that. Sometimes we can actually just get so locked into kind of a religious mindset of meeting up to moral codes and moral standards for the sake of being accepted by God and other people that, that it begins to consume us and the enemy actually turns on us and it becomes death to us. It's like the Old Testament law. People think, well, if I could just live by the Ten Commandments, then I'd really be an amazing person. And Jesus says, no. Your goal is never to live by the Ten Commandments. What I really want is simply the love of your heart. I want you to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. When love is the, that which motivates us, then in fact our behavior is altered and our behavior is, takes a shift in, for the good in the appropriate directions out of a sense of love and honor of the Lord and other people. But if our goal is to just simply live up to the Ten Commandments, it'll be certain death, spiritually death. It doesn't work. And uh, Jesus addressed this. The Apostle Paul addressed it, saying. So it, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> recognizing that how these things actually can be a setup of the enemy of our soul. Um, comparing ourselves with others who have stumbled in ways that we haven't. And then we wind up being judgmental. And so we can look at another person who has stumbled and fallen in a way that you haven't experienced. And you go, that was really stupid. And it, in fact, maybe stupid. <laughs> but then what can happen is then we compare ourselves like, I'm sure glad I haven't done something that stupid. Well, you know. And these are the funny little things that trip us up. See, that comes out of that false self, that unredeemed part of us that hasn't been transformed. Now, that's not entirely who we are because truly we have this real true inner self that's a... The, the truth of our being is that we have a heart of love for God and a heart of love for people, but there's certain little things that, that all of a sudden now we start thinking out of this other part of our being. It's like, have you, don't all raise your hand at once, but have you ever been surprised at your own self, your own thoughts? It's like, how did I get here in my thinking? This isn't really me. It may be an attitude towards another person, and now you're trying to kind of correct and adjust, and you go, oh, God, yeah. Boy, where'd that come from, see? It's okay. It's okay. We're all in process. So there's no use. And Paul then goes on to say, by the way, in Corinthians 7, after he keeps talking about this, why do I do what I do? I don't know why. I keep falling. I keep stumbling. And yet I have this heart for God. And then in first verse of chapter 8, of course, in the letter, there was no, no chapters, right? But what we know is of chapter 8, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Isn't that good news? Yeah. Basically, Paul says we're a beautiful work in process. 
continually in need of having our minds renewed and our hearts transformed to become to the likeness of Christ. We never lost our image when Adam and Eve fell, but some of our, like, our likeness was marred. And so this whole thing of being in Christ and of salvation is about the, the restoration of our hearts and our thinking and such, and it's lifelong. You will never totally arrive to that place of all that you can be and be totally, truly human until literally the day we die, physically die. And that's what Paul talks about, to die is gain, the Apostle Paul. He didn't say that because he was just like so bummed out in life and disheartened. He was like, I don't want to live anymore, so I just want to die. No, he understood a spiritual reality. You cannot become totally the person who God has called you to be until literally we're dying to self-centeredness along the way, and that is painful and hard. And then, but one day when we physically die is the day of our full liberation. And then to be raised with a new body and that then we can be fully human. So our goal in life is that we want to become actually more Christ-like or more fully human, but we won't realize it in this life, but we can continue to move if from, from glory to glory and, and moving forward. So here's another thing is sometimes um, <clears throat> um, continually looking for approval from other people. That can be kind of that false self, that part of us that hasn't redeemed yet because we're so consumed. Whereas in the true inner self, we go, I'm, I'm smack dab in the middle of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm loved unconditionally. God loves me. He doesn't condemn me. Wow, he's included me. He's seated with me in heaven, or I'm seated with him in heavenly places, as the scripture tells us through the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, you know. All right? And so you can just feel so secure. And then you can have that other part of you at times where you can feel like extremely insecure. And you, when you get around certain people, it can be certain people that you admire. And they're really maybe majorly, uh, significantly accomplished or whatever the case may be. And you can go, oh, man. I guess I do what, What's with me anyhow, see? And so these are the real life things that we struggle with. <clears throat> Giving into the lies of the enemy, you're a loser. Staying in control and charting my life. Sometimes, you know, one of the things in the Western world, we're really big on strategic planning. And then you go to the scriptures and Jesus says, take no thought about tomorrow. What? What's with this? In our Western world, you're a loser if you don't have a 5, 10 year, 20 year plan. Man, you're a loser. Because you know that to be successful in life, you've got to have a plan for your life. Get it, chart it out, you know? And so sometimes, I, I, I watch sometimes high school kids can get majorly stressed because they're in this pressure cooker where they're, they're being told by some that if you don't go to college, you're going to be a loser. You won't be able to make a good living. You won't have this. You won't have that. You won't have that. And, and, and many people in our society actually say those things. And sometimes teachers do. I've heard it myself. So, you know, and, and so they live in this pressure, but they don't know. Like, well, what I, I don't even know what I would study. And 
What if I don't even want to go to college? What if I don't feel like I should go to college? And so the tensions just get incredible. And I just love to tell high school students, just chill and relax a little bit. You're in no rush. God is with you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. And you know what? You're, everything's going to be okay. Just don't be feel that you cave in just to the pressures of everybody else telling you should and you shouldn't do this and you should do that, you know. And it's a big deal when you're 15, 16, 17 because these things are kind of before you. What am I going to, what direction am I going to go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, see? And so <clears throat> how we relate to other people in this whole process of life is like really, really important. Sometimes we can, in our false self, attach ourselves to other people or material goods or achievements to find that security and significance, okay? And by the way, people around the globe do this. Every country and nation I've been in, and I haven't been in all 200 and some, but, but the ones I've been in, I see that this is a bit of a struggle. It's more prevalent in some cultures than other, okay? This thing of significance and achievements, et cetera. And it's pretty prevalent in our Western culture, for sure. And so what happens is now we can attach ourselves to other people and uh, this or that or the other in order for us to feel significant. Because that part of that's that, that false self, that part that's not yet been redeemed and transformed by, the, by, the, by Christ. Because you can have that in one moment. On the other hand, you can be in a place of just feet worship and you're feeling safe and secure and it's beautiful, and you don't want to leave that place. And three hours later, you can be in this other place, and you're like really having to achieve and measure up, you know, and be successful. And you attach yourself to this person. Did you know that even when it comes to ministry, if you will, you can get locked into or snagged by promoting a ministry or a title so that everybody else knows your calling and your gifting and your anointing? I'm amazed at how many Christian people boast about their callings and giftings and anointings. And I'm like, is that really important? Important to them. They got to know their title. They got to tell you all about their calling and how anointed they are. Hey, if you're really anointed, we'll all notice. If you're really powerful, we'll, we'll, we'll see it. We, we don't need you to explain it to us how amazing you are. And then all the name dropping, and I'm connected with this ministry, and I'm connected with that ministry, and that's really powerful, you know, and I've been trained by this name and that name and stuff. Guys, we just need to cut through all of that stuff. That's a false self. That's not who God created us to be. Food for thought. The true self is connected with Jesus, loves the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And whatever Father and Son and Holy Spirit value and embrace says, I just want to be in that flow. I'm not going to get caught up in all of the things of this world and be pulled this way and prove myself to be this or that or the other. And you know what? That's where all of our hearts really want to be, isn't it? It really is. Because it's safe. It's empowering. There's beauty to it. There's fulfillment and there's life. While the false self is always working so hard to be accepted. You know, <clears throat> sometimes behavior that is not good and beautiful we call sinful. 
And what it is, is rooted in shame. It's rooted in shame, and it's because we don't believe the truth of our being and what God says about us. So we get lured into wrong thinking and behavior and actions and such that are the lies of the enemy that say, this will give, make you feel powerful. This will make you feel fulfilled. And they're lies of the enemy. And we've got to come back to these simple realities where God says, you're beautiful simply to me for who you are. You're patient. You're kind. You're humble. You're lovely. You're trustworthy. And you know what? Can I get on the, the a, a parenting rant for a little bit? These are just some things that I've learned from others, not because I am the model or anything at all, but just things that I've watched and listened over years. The more that we can declare those things over our children and grandchildren, that means God's perspective, the more likely they will actually take on the likeness of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I just saw some of that just yesterday. I got to do it with my, our oldest grandson, five. And uh, <clears throat> he's with these little siblings. And I said, wow, you're just so patient today. And he actually was being pretty patient, but I was highlighting the moment. And his dad says, that's it. Keep declaring it over him. Now, I kind of took from that that maybe he's not always patient with the younger siblings. I, you know, I don't know all of that. But his dad said, keep declaring it over him. And it's interesting because I had already put this in my notes to share today. And yesterday, yesterday morning, when the family came in, in, into our house, our daughter and family and, and such, and I'm going, you're so patient. So I took the opportunity several more times that morning. He said, Wow, this is such a good quality of yours. You're so patient. You're so gentle, see? See, you've got to speak that into the heart because that's really who our children are at heart. Sometimes they get their self-centered stuff that happens, you know? Don't we all? But we want to speak to the true self. Speak to that inner person in Christ. And guess what? That helps to shape someone's. So here's Jesus. Um, Apostle Paul. Well, Christ came to heal our brokenness and to conform us to his likeness. Let me just share just a couple more thoughts. I've got to wrap this up. Christ becoming flesh became one with humanity, and he shares with all of humanity his relationship with the Father, and he brings reconciliation to man's broken relationships with God. Okay? But while God did create humans as good, he did not create, oh, get this. He did not create humans as finished and complete creatures. He never created us as finished and complete creatures. And just look at somebody else and say, yeah, I know I see that. Yeah. He created them with a destiny to grow toward. He created everyone with something to grow towards. And so the ultimate goal of human creatures uh, is to be filled with God and the image of God. And that is what we want to grow towards. Now, one of the 
the risen and ascended humanity of Christ really is kind of the climax, if you will, of our human nature. And the scriptures, we have several beautiful scriptures that Paul used that one day we will be like him. One day we will be fully like Christ. I want to read to you a quote by <clears throat> Christian author. He says, uh, Robin Perry, for us being fully human is a yet to be completed journey. Jesus is the only person ever of whom it can be said that he is fully human. Humanity has reached its goal in him. And in the gospel, it becomes clearer to us that the creation of humanity was always a two-phase project. The first Adam was earthly. The second Adam was heavenly. Humanity was made with a destiny, and that destiny was to be conformed to the image of the true human, the origin of the new phase two, Jesus. Humans have been created to grow toward God. That's their destination. They are not created for hell, but they're created for theosis, which means to become godlike. Not God in terms of being deity, but godlike with his, with his attributes. That's our goal. And so when you think of, you get up in the morning and say, okay, what am I working towards? I'll be godlike, more fully human. That's my heart. That's my highest priority for living today. And Christ being fully human is fundamental to our salvation. And uh, Gregory uh, uh, said that that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. Really, really interesting there. He became so uh, human so that he could heal our humanity. That's the reality of it. And so when we come to the communion table here in a couple minutes, what I want us to remember today is that when we do this in remembrance of Christ, we want to remember that he is God who came to be fully human, to reveal the Father, but also to show us and to give us the ability to become human. Not to escape humanity, but to become human, to become Christ-like. And there is within every one of us the true self, that inner person in Christ that really reflects the nature and the heart of Christ. And yes, when we come to the communion table, there's some other little parts of us that don't totally reflect Christ. If we don't see that, doesn't mean it's not there. It means we're blind. We have partial blindness. Because to think for a second that there's not parts of us that are not fully to Christ would mean that we're in a measure of darkness and deception. That means we're already fully human, 100% like Christ. And I don't think any one of us would claim that. So what we really want to see is that God revealed to me areas, any areas of brokenness and such that aren't a part of the true part of who I am in that person in Christ, but there's this part that needs to be redeemed and healed and restored so that I can be more fully human.